0: As we look at the scripture this morning, we've been working through Matthew 24 and 25 over the last couple weeks, and it all started with the disciples questioning, what's going to happen at the end of the world? What's going to happen when Jesus takes on his kingdom? What is that going to look like? And what should they do? And Jesus responds, stating what they should do. First, be careful, keep watch, as I may be sooner than you think. Be careful, keep watch, as I may be longer than you think. Now in this passage this morning, we look at what happens when Jesus returns. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in front of you in the pew there, and we're on page 881. Now this isn't an easy passage. As I began doing my studying, we, uh, we got the video back up. All right, awesome technology. Uh, but as I started this passage and started doing the studying of it, a number of the commentators said that this is actually one of the hardest parables that Jesus teaches. It's one of the hardest things to get into. I mean, just looking at it, starting with the silly. It has to do with farm animals, goats, sheep. What's that about? It starts talking about future events, eschatology, or the end of the world, as we would frame it. It also gets to a really hard subject for us as believers. The subject of Jesus as judge, that there will be a judgment, that there is hell. Did you know that there are 162 references that warn of hell in the New Testament? Seventy of those come from Jesus himself. So almost half of the references in the New Testament that deal with hell, that warn of hell come from Jesus himself. However, we like to think of Jesus as love. We don't usually think of him as a righteous judge. Which is funny, because that's exactly what we need. We need a righteous judge. We desire justice. We seek justice. We demand justice, because that is how Jesus has designed us to be. I think it's a true testament to God's existence, our desire for justice. I think that speaks to the existence of God, because we demand justice. We want to see justice. And recently, you've seen this play out in recent events, framed around the idea of justice. We have racial, we have economic, we have social justice. And the idea is great because it's rooted in God, but we have to be extra, extra careful because it's easy to take something that God intended for good and pervert it and use it to manipulate people, use it for a power grab, use it in inappropriate ways. So we should reassess, when we use the term justice, what are we trying to accomplish? Is it what Jesus is trying to accomplish? Or is it something that we would like to accomplish for our own benefit? Now God has created us with the desire for righteousness and for, well, actually for justice. And it's because it's at the core of who He is. We see in Psalms 89:14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. So righteousness and justice are at the core of who God is. And he demonstrates that through faithful love and truth. Now we see in this passage, Jesus provides the warning. Warning of hell. Warning of what's to come. A demonstration of his love. And stating the truth about what's to come. He knows what's to come. He's sharing that with us. Be alert. Pay attention. Be ready. I will return, Jesus says. Jesus is stating the truth about what's to come and warning us as an act of love. Now, Alyssa and I enjoy our coffee. We're parents. We don't get a lot of sleep, so we, we love to drink our coffee. Yes. <laughs> and so there was a time that I remember very vividly, and I ran this story by Alyssa, and she does not recall it, but I remember it very vividly. Jaden was very young, and Alyssa was drinking her coffee, and she had set it down on one of the trunks in our house, in the living room. And keep in mind, I'm sitting across the room. And she had set it down to go do something else, and Jaden was very little, and he was interested, like many of our kids, what's in that cup? I must find out. So he starts moving over toward the coffee cup. Starts getting closer, starts to reach out. What do I do? Jaden, no! Man, it got quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I did that to warn him because I loved him. I knew what was going to happen if he reached out and touched that hot cup. I knew the capacity of Jaden for assessing the potential danger that lied in in front of him. And so, I provided the appropriate warning, stop, don't do that. Jesus knows our capacity and is providing us a warning in this passage through His Word and in turn showing love. He also shows His love by delaying judgment. We see that in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting to any to perish, but to all to come to repentance. Jesus doesn't want people to go to hell, he does not want them to per- perish. He'd much rather us repent of our brokenness and seek Him. But at some point, Jesus is going to exercise His justice, because the purpose of His justice is to bring things back to order, back into balance. We might call this restorative justice. In this case, bringing the world back to the way God intended it. We see it back in Genesis 1 in the garden. It was perfect. Without the brokenness that we see all around us, there will be a day when Jesus restores everything back to the way it was. And we get a glimpse of that process this morning as we study this passage. So let's jump into it. Matthew 25, starting in 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats." So we see in this passage the Son of Man. We've talked about this. This is Jesus' favorite title for Himself. And I want to take you back to where we first see this. We've done this before, but I think it's important to see this in its context. So turn back with me to Daniel 7. We'll start in verse 9, talking about God himself. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, speaking of God, his clothing as white uh, as snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. Now we jump down, speaking of Jesus, in verse 13, I continued watching in the night visions. And suddenly one, like a son of man, speaking of Jesus, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed." So we see here that God has given dominion, authority to Jesus, and there will be a day when Jesus returns in all of His glory to sit on His throne as King over all the earth. Notice in our text this morning, it says, all nations are gathered. There is no escaping God's judgment. All nations are gathered. So just to kind of bring this into perspective, we see that Jesus demonstrates His love by delaying judgment, even warning us of His judgment. But one day He will return and exercise that judgment. Because to do otherwise is outside of his character. We see the judgment as described by Jesus in the next verse. Let's look at it together. Verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now for some historical context, just so you guys understand. In Jesus' time and even nowadays, if you go to the Middle East, you'll see the goats and the sheep grazing together. But at night, what will happen is the shepherd will actually separate the goats and the sheep. One because the goats are rambunctious. If you've ever seen goats, we have goats, they're pretty silly. Um, You have to build like a Fort Knox to keep them in. Uh, So they take the goats and they separate them from the sheep because the sheep are easily scared. The goats are also a little sensitive to the elements, so they move them into a more secure location, a little more protection from the elements than the sheep are. And so the shepherd is separating the sheep and the goats. Another another title for Jesus we see in Scripture is shepherd. He's claiming it here the shepherd. He is separating out his sheep, his believers, his followers, his disciples. Now for the next section, we're gonna read it in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of compare and contrast. I think that's probably the easiest way to kind of dive into this rather than dividing it all up. So let's start verse. Thirty-four. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we... See you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say... To those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then. They too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Some very heavy heavy words here. And so what I did is I kind of wanted to compare and contrast the people on the right and people on the left, so I threw up a little slide here. Notice the people on the right were surprised to have been serving Jesus. Their intention, they were not seeking out to serve Jesus. They're welcomed into the kingdom, a kingdom prepared for them. Notice the result is eternal life. Then on the left, you have those surprised not to have been serving Jesus. You see in the text here, verse 44 ends with, and not help you. And they're sent away into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So keep in mind, hell is designed for the devil and his angels. And as a result, you have eternal punishment. Now if we take that and look at it, at first glance it looks very works-based, but we have to dig a little bit deeper. So we look at, first, Jesus describes the people on the right as serving his brothers and sisters. And we remember, if we turn back, Jesus describes his brothers and sisters in Matthew 12, 46. While he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is not denying his earthly family. He is redefining what a family is. And this includes his disciples, the ones that follow him, that are doing the will of God. Now, the people on the right were not simply meeting the needs of anybody. They were meeting the needs of those that are in Jesus' family. This is important because Jesus associates himself so closely to these people. Look with me in Acts 9. We see the story of Paul, who at this time was called Saul, on, a, on the road to Damascus. And starting in verse 1, it says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the highest priest and requested letters from him in the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, speaking of followers of Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So we see here that Paul is persecuting Christians. But who does Jesus say he's persecuting? He's persecuting Jesus. So there's such a close relation between Jesus and his followers that when Paul is going to seek out to put believers in prison, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me? There's a very close association there. So it's important to keep that in context here because the people on the right are meeting the needs of Jesus' family and at the same time meeting the needs of Jesus. Now a quick note, I'd be remiss to not make a comment on this. The phrase, to the least of these, I've heard these verses used recently in regards to caring for poor immigrants, but if we work, if we look at the verses in context, this is not what Jesus is emphasizing here. Now there are a number of verses in the Bible that speak to caring for the poor immigrants. So I'm not discounting that. Please don't hear that. But in this section, Jesus is specifically dealing with his brothers and sisters, his followers. So those are the ones that the ones on the right are serving. Now how do we go about serving? There's a lot of discussion in the church. Do we pour a bunch of money in locally? Do we go regionally? Do we go globally? So I threw up a chart here, and you can see we have the locally, regionally, and globally. Now ideally, if we're meeting the needs of believers appropriately as Jesus requests of us and gives us the power to do we would be working and operating right in the middle. But unfortunately, we tend to focus on one or the other, whether it be globally or locally, whatever it might be. So this requires us to really think. How do we go about reaching all of those needs? So, we look locally. Okay, within this body, what are the needs within this church? Locally, Revelation Church, how do we meet the needs here? Are we meeting the needs? Are the believers, the members of this church, are we meeting those needs? Now, there's a catch to that, in that there's people that need to be willing to meet the needs, but there's also the people that need to make their needs known. So with that, if you are in a position of a need, approach it with humility. Make your need known. Don't rob the blessing of somebody being able to meet that need. So it goes both ways. So that's locally. We also have three churches that we partnership with, DOXA, Transform Ministries, and All of Life. How can we support them. How can we further the gospel? That's our goal. We meet the needs by spreading the gospel, by sharing the gospel. Regionally, that may be in the U.S., how do we meet those needs? So we've actually gone, Revelation Church, we've provided some funds for churches within our network that suffered fire damage with the fires down in Oregon. And so that's a way in which we can meet some needs regionally. Now what about globally? We have some missionaries, Rob and Jody Herman, who are serving in Indonesia with the goal of spreading the gospel, making Jesus known to the world. So whether it be intentional or not, we are trying to balance those three areas locally, regionally, and globally. It's not always easy because we can fall trap to meeting either locally or just let's do all missions, and we're gonna focus on that. So, but our goal is to be reaching all the needs as best we can right there. So just a couple thoughts. The last couple weeks we've been asking the question, how should we be waiting? We've talked about be alert. Sooner or later, Jesus is coming. And we should not be wasting the time and resources that God has given us during this time of waiting. I know it's hard when you don't know the date or the hour of when Jesus will return. But he has called us to be ready. And so as we study the word that should encourage us Relight a fire in us. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can move forward in sharing the gospel with others. Meeting the needs of other church believers. And so, we also have to take heed of the warning that Jesus provides. He talks about eternal life and eternal punishment. Now we can go into great detail about hell and what hell is. It's a horrible place. And like I have mentioned earlier, it was not designed for us as humans. But there will be humans that reject Christ, that say, I don't want anything to do with him. I would rather figure out my own path, figure out my own way And unfortunately, Jesus is warning about those people. Those are the goats. Those are the people that think they're doing good, but in fact they're not. And when we come to this point in our passage, and we come to this point in time, the outcome is going to be permanent. There is no going back. There are no second chances. This is no place for universalism. Now we should be about serving Jesus' family. We should feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, provide shelter for those in need, provide clothes for those that are naked, care for those that are sick, visit those that are in jail, especially those that are in jail for sharing the gospel. And God forbid, if that day ever comes here, may we support those that go to jail for the sharing of the gospel. May we not shy away from that. May God give us strength to meet the needs of those that are sharing the gospel. And that's the funny thing about it. Because I can stand up here and share the gospel with you. Zach can stand up here and share the gospel with you. But you as believers should be sharing the gospel as well. So if we're doing that, we're all going to be in good company, right? If that day so come, where we are put in jail for sharing the gospel, there's going to be some good company. But what's interesting, and the point I want to drive home, is we can't do this on our own. We have to be dependent on Jesus. Because the people on the right that we're talking about here are dependent on Jesus. What they were doing was a natural outflowing of what Jesus has done on the inside. People on the right did what they did because they understood their relationship to Jesus in in light of the gospel. They understood their brokenness. We see the brokenness around us, but do we see the brokenness in ourselves? A great way to see that is by the study of the Word. In prayer, seeking the Holy Spirit, God, reveal the brokenness that is inside of me. Restore me to what you want me to be, what you have designed me to be. Because once we understand that brokenness, that allows us to be empathetic toward people, to care for people, to love people. Because the people on the right didn't know they were serving Jesus. It was just a natural outpouring. And that's the beauty of the relationship with Jesus. It allows us to do things outside of ourselves. See, we can only manage things internally and try to do good, but we fail. And so in order to fix that process, we have to have something that's outside of ourselves to change that trajectory. And the only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and looking for a new trajectory, if you have identified the brokenness in your own self and realize that you do fail, that you do mess up, that you do sin, what we would call sin, Jesus can provide you a different trajectory. He can restore you to the way that he designed you to be. It's simply changing direction. I'm going this direction. I'm turning to Christ. And I'm saying, Christ, I am broken. Please heal me. Please help me. I want to be a follower of you. I want to be made whole. So in turn... I can do the same for other people. But we have to understand who's really doing the changing. Turn with me to Psalms 146. As we read this, hallelujah, there's an exclamation point. Can everybody say hallelujah? There's an exclamation point. Can we say hallelujah? Hallelujah. There we go. All right. My soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man. Another word would be mere mortal. Do not trust in a mere mortal who cannot save when his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one who, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited, and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises up those who are oppressed, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord protects resident aliens, and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, Zion your God reigns for all generations, hallelujah. This is where I take this and throw it on the ground and walk off. Mic drop. Uh, but yes, as we read that passage, we see who is really, who is really doing the work. It's not us. We can't do it on our own. It's God who is doing it through us. We get the privilege of taking part of that. Amen? And once we get that into the right perspective and understand that, it can be very reassuring to us. I know in studying this passage, it's reassuring to me. Because as I thought through this passage, I thought of a time not too long ago when a dear friend of mine lost his child before it was born. And did I meet the needs Did I contact him? Did I reach out to him? Did I show love to him? No, I failed. I failed him. As a believer to another believer, I failed him. But that's the point. We fail. We fail all the time. But this is the beauty. We can take it right back to Jesus. We can't, we shouldn't sit there and say, I'm going to do better next time. No, run to Jesus. Because once we understand that we are fully dependent on Jesus, then we begin to understand the gospel in its entirety. Jesus died and rose again to meet our eternal need. Jesus died and rose again to meet our eternal need. We talk about meeting needs. Jesus provided our greatest need, which gives us the capacity to meet the uh, needs of other fellow believers. So please, if you hear this message and think, oh, I should donate some more money, I should spend more time doing X, you've missed it. And I pray that not be the case, because this message should drive us to Jesus as we take inventory of how we fail to take care of one another, brothers and sisters, whether it's locally or elsewhere, drive us to Jesus. And I would recommend doing exactly that, taking inventory. Where do I spend my time? Where do we spend our resources? Do it on a consistent basis. I've been challenged. I mentioned this. I've been challenged by this passage because I know on Saturday mornings, Alyssa and I try to get together and we talk about the week. We talk about the previous week, what's coming up next week. We talk about finances. But we don't evaluate our priorities. We don't take them to God and say, God, this is what we would like to do. Please help us do that. If that's not your will, please guide us. Please lead us where we should be, where we should meet the needs. Because ultimately, we need to pray for more gospel. We need to pray for a better understanding of what we've been freed from, how we've been restored as believers of Christ. And as we do that, there will be a weight. You'll feel a weight in that process of thinking through what are my priorities? Do they align up with God? Am I doing the will of God? But that's the beauty of it. There's good news in that. Because as we take it to God, He will reveal Himself. He will guide and direct our paths. He will give us opportunities to serve others. We just need to be in tune with Him so that we're able to Notice it when it comes available. When the opportunity arises, we need to be ready. So this morning, let us heed the warning of Jesus. There will be a day when He does return, and we should refocus our priorities. But not without seeking Jesus through prayer and the study of His Word, because once again, Our goal is to improve our relationship with Him, and Him first, before we can worry about any of this other stuff. Because if we're not in tune with Him, if we don't allow Him to do what He wants to do through us, if we stand in the way and say, I have a better way, then we've lost it. We need Jesus to work through us, to change our priorities, to lead us in what is good, what is true, what is love. This is a heavy passage, but I hope that as we read through it, once again, it drives us to Jesus when we identify the fact that we can't meet up to these standards. Not on our own. But that's where the gospel comes in, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to switch over to a time of communion, and as we do that, we'll come forward, take the uh, wine and the wafer, take it back to your seat, and just really what I would like you to do, and what a want to pursue is just spend time thinking about that. Spend time thinking about what God has done for us, His death and resurrection, and what that allows us to do by the power that He provides us. It's truly amazing. It's truly wonderful. And as we do this on a weekly basis, it can easily become routine. But I hope this morning this passage kind of wakes you up a little bit. Just to kind of reassess things, put things in the right perspective. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.